by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Tonight we welcome back Everett Robert. He is a author, a director, a playwright, and an actor. He's been on the show several times, and he is also a friend of the show, and he has been on Sherry's Playhouse as an actor, and he's also written several of the plays. Um, we're chatting with him tonight to talk about his latest play that he adapted for us from The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And uh, the original author was Robert Louis Stevenson, um, and uh, Everett adopted it for the theater, and it's a really good play. And we released it on the weekend of Thanksgiving on Sunday. So it's available for anybody to have, and the link for the play will be in the description of the show. So here's Everett. Hi, Everett. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Another day, another penny. Good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and how have you been doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. It's been a it's been a hot minute, as we say out here in Kansas, uh, since we've talked. I'm doing good. Um, just living the dream, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what dream is that, Everett? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, um, that's a good question. Just uh, continuing to write, continuing to to see works produced, and uh, having a good time at it. Good. Well, as long as you're having a good time, that's what's important. That's right. Um, any uh, projects that you can talk about, or no? Uh, yeah, I just... Um, had a reading of a play of mine called Sputnik um, done in Kansas City at the Midwest Dramatist Conference and uh, it's a shorter play but was got some very good feedback on that play and um, I'm in the process of expanding it right now into a, maybe a one act play and then possibly into a full length. Cool. Sputnik as in the, so space, the Russian spaceship. <laughs> That is Sputnik as in the Russian space the satellite, but it is not about the Russian space satellite. Um, it's actually about a, a professional wrestler in the 1950s and 60s whose name was, his name was Roscoe Monroe. And he was born in Kansas and traveled all over the United States, you know, as a professional wrestler at that time. And 
advocate of social justice, uh, in particular civil rights and equality. And he was walking, he was down south uh, in Alabama or Mississippi, I believe, and was walking into a into an event, and he had seen this uh, African American kid hitchhiking, and pulled over and asked him, you know, hey, I'll give you a ride if you help drive, and gave him some money. And so he had walked into the arena with this African-American kid who had given him a ride and had his arm around his shoulder and was carrying bags and everything. And this uh, little old lady got so mad at him that she started cussing him out. And they, you know, oh, you can't say that on television. You can't say that, that sort of thing. And so the worst thing that she could think to call him was a damn Sputnik. And this was like, a week after the Sputnik satellite had gone up or something like that. Basically, she was calling him a communist. It was the worst thing that she could think to call him. And so he adopted the nickname. And so he was known as Sputnik Monroe. And, or Roscoe Sputnik Monroe. And he ended up, was one of the um, unsung civil rights heroes, uh, particularly in Memphis, Tennessee, um, and helped with the desegregation of Memphis, Tennessee in the late 50s and early 60s. Wow, that's pretty Particularly cool. Particularly with sporting events and concerts and that sort of thing. That's pretty cool. And uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating and, and very interesting story. So uh, the play's basically his life. Uh, it is a very condensed version, uh, mainly focusing on his time in Memphis and the core story of the desegregation of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, but when I do expand this into a full length, it'll be more of an examination of his life in whole. But in its current versions, is a 10-minute play and a, and a one-act. Uh, it's mostly focusing on the desegregation of Memphis, Tennessee. Have you talked to him or his family? Uh, he passed away a couple of years like 2006 or 7 um, and uh, I'm not sure uh, what family members uh, are still around so that's part of the process too is you know to try and consult with them at some point yeah because you're going to get more information too when you do that oh yeah yeah I think that it's you know, of, I like the you, you want that but you also <laughs> Yeah, you want that uh, information, um, but you also want to make sure it is um, also, you can sometimes get caught up too much in the in the facts. You can let the facts get in the way of a good story. And I think as a professional wrestler, uh, he would appreciate the theatricality of, you know, sometimes making the story a little bit more dramatic. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I was just watching a um, an interview about an interview about an interview about John Le Carre. The um, he wrote spy novels like The Spy Who Came In yeah. from the Cold and Tinker Taylor, Taylor, Soldier's Spy, yeah. Spy People, and all those. Um, well, they're making a documentary. They, they, I guess they've already made a documentary of him. And they were interviewing the interviewer, 
and he's a famous interviewer. Uh-huh. And what they said, which was really, really interesting, he said, everything, you, you didn't know what if what was coming out of his mouth was the truth or not, but everything sounded perfect. It looked like he was, yeah. he didn't know what questions I was going to ask, but it sounded like he had a teleprompter with the answers, but there wasn't one. Uh-huh. He goes, he was so frustrating. I understand, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, because he, re- you know, unlike Ian Fleming, Lacar was really a spy. He worked for MI5 as a spy. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, different kind, you know, I mean, that's probably why he was so letter perfect when he was talking. Even even if he was lying, he was letter perfect. Because his life depended on that. <laughs> yes. But isn't that interesting? I would love to uh, yes. find out what happens. But, I mean, I don't get Netflix, so I'm not going to be able to see the documentary. <laughs> you get I'll have to check it out when it comes out. Okay, then you can tell me. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a plan. But I just I, I, I just find it fascinating. I love I love background of people. So think of all the fun you're gonna have finding out background of him. The um Oh yeah. I mean that's part of to me it's part of the fun of writing. <laughs> and it, and he was he was born and raised here in Kansas where I live, in fact about two hours from where I live. Um, so I may take a road trip one of these days down and uh, kind of uh, drive around where he was raised and everything. So That might be interesting, too. Get a feel for, for that part of it. If you could find, like, where his house was and stuff like that, that would be really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, just kind of get a feel for the for the world. What sparked the idea? Um, <clears throat> heard about him on, I'm trying to remember if I heard about him on a podcast or a documentary or something. And I was like, this is a fascinating story. This is a guy whose story must be told because it, it's such a, he was a bad guy wrestler or a heel in wrestling parlance. So, he was always looking for ways to get booed. So part of this was self-serving, you know. This is a way for him to get booed and for him to make more money and to help sell out the venues and everything like that. But there was also a a social justice. You know, he actually did feel that um, African-American people were getting the short end of the stick, you know, uh, if you will. We're getting a a bad shake at life at that time and really felt that they deserve justice um, he grew up like I said in Kansas uh, and his stepfather his father had died when he was before he was actually even born um, and his stepfather was a baker and he uh, would work beside African Americans uh, cleaning you know, the big stuff, the big pots or whatever that they used to to make the bread and all that, and really didn't see any difference between them and couldn't understand why anybody would. And I was just like, this is such a fascinating story of a guy who 
come from a, a world, you know, that you wouldn't normally associate with social justice and change um, and progressiveness, and and how he really helped lead this change in culture and society. Hmm. Really cool. Um, well, you know that you wrote a little play, and I produced and directed your little play, and it's coming out yes. this month. I don't know exact date yet. Yes, I'm excited. And I just want to know how you feel about it. Well, you're doing um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or The Strange Case of Dr. <laughs> Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes based on the book by Robert Louis Stevenson. Yes. And uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a, a great production. You've got, you have assembled uh, a fantastic cast, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear how it comes together. Yeah, oh, everybody's great, um, especially our Dr. Jekyll, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um it's it's a um, it's such a good version. Good job, Everett. Really. Well, thank you, thank you. I uh, had originally written it during COVID, uh, during the uh, lockdown. Um, at a friend who was producing community theater, and was like, "We need, we still need to do something, but we can't obviously have people in the theater. We can't have." Um, we need the actors to be spaced out on the stage. And I said, why don't we do a radio play? And they needed it for Halloween time. <laughs> and we were kicking around some ideas. And I said, what about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? We could, you know, you can have some fun with the theatricality. We could do some different things. And so that's how it kind of came about. And, uh, I definitely wanted to give it, you know, much more female agency. The original is kind of male heavy. Yeah, very. Want to kind of keep up that that gothic horrorness of it, um, the fog covered streets of London, and the you know smoke filled back alleyways, and all that kind of of uh, gothicness that you think of. Um, but it's also a really great, um, if you will, sci-fi horror, uh, which is not a, it's a subgenre of, of horror that a lot of people kind of overlook. You know, they don't think about the fact that, that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was born out of a, out of a sci-fi, uh, you know, a science experiment gone wrong, um. And I, and I also got the chance to, you know, touch on some issues with addiction and, and some other things in that story. Yeah, yeah uh, that's true. And I actually so, yeah. think that Stevenson wrote it because he was interested in addiction, and I think that's part of yeah. was his reasoning for writing it, because people were getting addic very addicted to opium at that time, you know. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it, it makes sense. And you also added another character to it that was very interesting. I won't say who it is, but he's a very small part. 
he's not actually in the play, but he's referred to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of those little, I like to play little Easter eggs in my plays sometimes that refer to other, I guess they were called pity dreadful novels at that time, um, whose this particular character has gone on to capture the imagination of people in a in a very big way. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of years later, still captured it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plays are still being written. Movies, TV shows, books. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's amazing. I know. And weird I, I, how I'm people. Very happy you guys are... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's, as it's amazing how people get so into an evil character like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, something about capturing our imagination. Yeah. There's something about about evil and and evil that we don't understand mm-hmm. that captures people's imagination. Yeah, and and the reason and he never got caught. I mean, we won't say who it is, but right. you guys probably are picking it up already. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's a very interesting little twist that you put in there. <laughs> well, thank you. Like I said, one of those little Easter eggs that I like to to plant. There's a couple of other Easter eggs in the play as well that that refers to different things. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's one of the one of the things I like to do, I did it in, in our production of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac as well. Uh, put some, not just Easter eggs, some very obvious characters from history that don't appear in the <laughs> obvious, in the original novel yeah, or the they, original play. They were in um, France, so yeah, it would have been hard for that, them to be a part of the actual. Yeah. <laughs> so... I like I like kind of doing that. I think that's part of the the fun of adaptation is looking at not just the story itself, but what was going on in the world at large at that time. Um, when I was studying theater and English and all that in college, one of my favorite courses, and I took it took as many different uh, versions as could was. Survey and literature is what it was called. So we had survey in American literature, survey in English literature, survey in world literature, survey in literature from this time period to this time period. And what we did is we looked at selected stories or popular stories. Uh, and then we also examined what was going on in the culture around them and what influenced those stories or those writings and what we could learn from them. So there's a little bit of history and a little bit of English together and how these two different humanities work together. And, you know, we influence as writers what's going on in culture today influences um, what we write as well. Like I said, with this one, I want to include more female representation. I included um, characters who or I created characters who wouldn't have been talked about in polite society uh, at that time period 
but who undoubtedly played a role in society at that time and kind of examined what led to that. And those kind of reflect on, on our modern society, too. So it, it's something I think is important to look at what's going on in culture and how it, uh, and society in general, not just culture, but society in general, and how that affects the culture that we're creating through art. Yeah, that's true. What I like about when you adapt is that you have respect for the original text. I mean, I try. <laughs> the, it, I mean, you. It's expanded. It's. It, it has different touches. It's in something that the original writer may not have ever thought of, but it it isn't so changed that you don't recognize the characters which is some one of the right. things that happens a lot in modern adaptions. I like that you don't do that. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if you're going to if you're going to adapt the source material, there's a reason why you're adapting the source material. Yeah. Um and either you have some affection for it or you have some uh reverence for it that you want to convey. Um, so I think it's important to to honor that. Yeah, and that's both for Cyrano and for uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, well, thank you. They're both. Uh, there's a great deal of affection shown toward the original text in both of the plays, the way you did it, and I like that. Well, thank you. I, I sure try. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> you do very well. Um. Do you have any thoughts about uh, Sherry's Playhouse doing the play? And how do you feel about me directing your play? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always trust you as a director, Sherry. I think you've directed some of my stuff before. And you always do a good job. And it's always a pleasure to have my work produced by you guys. I mean, uh, you always assemble top-notch actors. Um Except when this one guy named Everett Robert is acting. Okay. <laughs> um, but you always have really good actors. You have, uh, it's always a great production. And um, you, when there's concerns or, or something like that that need to be addressed, you you come to to me as a writer. I'm sure you do this with other writers mm-hmm. too. And say, hey, um, we need this or we don't need this. Or just a second, my cat is trying to lick my hair for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants to steal your limelight, that's all. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a little pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> like all cats. Okay, why don't you get down? <laughs> this is my little two-year-old cat, Pocket. Oh, I love that name. I have two cats. Puck. I have Puck, who's named after uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream. My, one of my favorite and plays. Pocket. <laughs> yep. And Pocket is named after, in a roundabout way, the fool in King Lear. Uh, there's an author named Christopher Moore who wrote a series of books, um, I think there's three of them in the series so far, uh, called Fool, uh, The Serpent of Venice, and Shakespeare for Squirrels. And they he took the fool character from King Lear and tells a different play from the fool's perspective. And so fool in, 
the events of King Lear unfold from Pocket's perspective. The Serpent of Venice does that for um, the Merchant of Venice and Othello. He kind of combines Othello and the Merchant of Venice into one story. Don't tell me too much. So I still Pocket haven't read that book yet. <laughs> okay. Great book. And then uh, Shakespeare for Squirrels, again, Fool, the Fool Pocket and his companions come across some other interesting characters in a, in a completely different setting. So, um, yeah, that's where Pocket is named after, after Christopher Moore's naming of, of Lear's Fool. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so we were talking about uh, Sherry's Flash. No, I was saying you guys always, you know, always high quality work. It's always well produced. Uh, it's always a joy to listen to. And, I, you know, have great respect for for the opportunities you give us. Thank you. I try. <laughs> I, and Both I, as writers and actors. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that was the point when I started, to give uh, uh, exposure to writers and help for actors who want to get into voice acting, because voice acting is not yeah. that easy to get into. It's not. It's kind of a nuanced position in acting Um, and there's not just competition from other actor journeyman actors there's also competition from big stars so (laughs) you're like wow I can't get a job because they gave it to Meryl Streep you know (laughs) yeah yeah because I um I actually listened to the audiobook for Harper where she was the lead in the movie. She was the uh, audio she read the book she was the narrator, she did the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta tell you, that book moved fast with Meryl Streep doing it. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point. I mean, you have people that are like multi Oscar winners, it's kind of hard to be in competition. But at least yeah. you have something to put on your resume. Exactly. And helps develop a, a reel of different roles and, and everything like that because you're, the plays you pick are, are varied and wide and uh, tell different stories. Yep. And so it gives actors the chance to, to play different roles. And you get a die. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you get to die quite often in a lot of them. So (laughs) a lot of people had their first dying scene in one of my uh, productions. It's like, hey, I finally got to die. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It is. It is. But that's true. You know, you don't always get to die, and that's a big deal for an actor. Actors want to have a dying scene because it's like the most theatrical you can possibly be. (laughs) Also, actors like to show off, like to show off accents and dying. (laughs) Yeah, and dying. Um, and and it's like one of the fun things. It's it's just the other thing is because it's radio theater and it's theater of imagination. Something you would not normally get cast as, you get to get cast as, which is really cool for actors. (laughs) Oh, one hundred percent. So. 
you could be a Cary Grant type character, you know? Yeah. Or or I could be a Catherine Hepburn kind of character. <laughs> oh, yeah. Neither of us are anything like them, but in audio world, you can do it. <laughs> exactly. And that's the fun of it. So it is. my hopes for the play, we're, we started the editing process. We got to put, you know, edit, loop, put the music in, all that stuff. All the fun stuff. Yeah. So our hope is to have it on Halloween. Cross fingers and toes. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> I think it's a perfect Halloween. I think so, too. It's a nice little nice little scary story that's not too scary. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I like it, because it's not, it's not like, it's more of a psychological thriller than uh, horror. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, I like that kind of a thing. I like thrillers. I'm not a I fan mean, of horror. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. So if you look at uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and what it's about, that's what it is. It's a thriller. Yeah, it's about that, you know, there is a, there's a theory, I guess you will, in in English, in writing and literature and analysis, that basically all stories comes down to, you know, Man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self. And on the surface, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, if you don't know the story, appears to be a man versus man story. But when you get into it and you realize the story that's being told, it is man versus himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very sad. It's a tragedy. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to believe. That the same man who wrote Treasure Island wrote this? <laughs> I know it is, but it works. I mean, Treasure Island is one of my favorite stories. And he, he, and he borrows heavily um, into some scary elements. I wouldn't necessarily say horror, but there's definitely some scary elements in that as well. Um, with you know Billy Bones at the beginning and stuff with Long John Silver there there can be some really terrifying moments in that yeah but Dr. Dr. Uh, Long John Silver Silver turns out to be a good guy (laughs) well in in, 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 Dr. In Treasure Island, he does. I mean, in real life, he isn't. But in the in the book, he protects the I kids. Mean, yeah, he, he's, he saves Jim Hawkins, but he still committed mutiny for no reason and left a man stranded on the island. And so they're shades of gray. Yeah. He's a very shades of gray. He's a very shady guy. And I think, <laughs> yeah, and that's what you see in, and I think to a degree, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, too, is shades of gray. Yeah. Now, once, his, once the Hyde side comes out, that's obviously 
a very monstrous character. But you see when he's in his Jekyll, um, when he's Dr. Jekyll, there, there's shades of gray. That he has some good qualities about him as well. Oh, yeah. He definitely has good qualities. Um, and it's interesting because the way it's written is that he doesn't remember a lot of what Hyde did. Right. So, in a way, he's kind of innocent. Still. And it, to a degree. Um, he, I mean, he's still doing what he's doing. It's, it's kind of his what people do when in the throes of addiction, be it alcoholism, when they're drunk, blackout drunk, when they're um, high on, on drugs or something like that, they may not remember what they what they did, but that doesn't excuse them from the consequences. Oh, no, they they're responsible. And I think that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely the one of the messages that Stevenson is putting out there is, you can have sympathy for these people. You can um, understand what they're going through, but it doesn't excuse them of their behavior. Oh no! It's just I, I meant that he was sort of innocent in not of because part of him did those things, but he was innocent because he thought that it was a way to free up his get rid of his bad side so he could free up all of his good side to do good work. Oh. Sure. You, you know, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. He's he 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 maybe innocent naive maybe is a better word. Something. I understand what you're saying though. But yeah. It's a really interesting. It's a really interesting. Actually, you inspired me to read the book because I had never read the book. Oh, good! I'm glad. So I read it. Uh, it was. It was. It's an excellent book. Um, but I was like, I'm. I was glad. I thought I was worried that it was going to be really scary because you know, I'd seen the Frederick sure. March and the Spencer Tracy versions, and they're both really scary. And I actually uh-huh. had a walk away a couple of times from uh, <laughs> but the book isn't like that <laughs> no I, I think in those film versions they definitely played up you know the scare factor <laughs> yeah yeah. especially Frederick March my god he ate the scenery <sighs> yeah because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I um, I rewatched them before I did the started okay. doing the play and I'm sure. like yeah this really is not helpful to me and that's what my conclusion <laughs> was watching them Spencer Tracy's performance was much more nuanced it was much better sorry I like Frederick March it just wasn't his best performance as far as I could tell uh, right but it's, neither of them were much help to me for the, this play um, so oh well I kind of left, left them in a ditch <laughs> But I I don't know about you, but when I direct, I like to see some versions of it to uh, get an idea of the flow and stuff like that. So I always I always watch adaptions. Um, yeah. Do you do that? Sometimes it depends on um, what I'm doing. Um, 
as a writer, I try to avoid that. Oh, no, I meant as a director. Oh, as a director. Um, occasionally. Again, sometimes I want to I want to bring my own vision. And through reading the text, I get a very clear vision of how I want to, to bring it to life. Um, but other times if I'm reading a script or a play... And I'm not, and I'm not catching a good vision, for whatever reason. Um, it, it has nothing to do with the the quality or anything like that. Just sometimes you have a hard time catching a, a definitive vision of how you want it to be produced. You want to try and prime the pump a little bit. And you do that by by watching uh, a previous adaptation, if possible. Okay, I'm just curious. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah. so you'll be listening in on the 31st. I definitely will be. And um, I really hope you like it. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Um, we're coming to an end. Uh, uh, is any of your stuff, like any of your stories or books or anything coming out that you want to let the audience know about? Um, nothing really new on the horizon uh, in that regard, but they can always, if they're interested in some of my my previous adaptations, my adaptations of Alice in Wonderland and, and Tom Sawyer are available from Heartland to Play Publishers. Okay. And, uh, and is it, if, do you have a website? On, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was say, no, you're fine. I was going to um, say, do you have a website that it might be on that they can just click? Yeah. Uh, you can go to Emergency Room Productions. If you search Emergency Room Productions, you'll find my website. And uh, if you search Everett Robert Playwright, you'll find it as well, along with um, if anybody's on New Play Exchange which is kind of a um, a site where playwrights can post their works uh, and uh, read other people's works. It's very cheap to join, like 11 bucks a year to join. And um, so if anybody's on there and you want to find my works there, you can find it on New Play Exchange. And, and yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. And we're working on, on the New Play Sputnik. I may... Uh, I've been gestating on possibly doing, we were talking about Treasure Island earlier, possibly doing an adaptation of Treasure Island, possibly doing uh, Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, that's my favorite. I love that. Oh, do Around the World in 80 Days. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's one of my favorite books. (laughs) I, I was a big Jules Verne fan when I was a kid. I read everything by Verne. And I was always more of a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea kind of guy. Uh, but Around the World in 80 Days has a, has a real theatrical flair. I know. I just love him. I love the main character. He's so adorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got his flaws like everybody else. He's kind of obsessed with time and stuff. But otherwise, he's right. just a sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of, you know, where I'm working at and what I'm working on and, and going from there. So Okay, cool. Um, they can follow. I, I, don't, I don't post on Twitter or X or whatever it's called much anymore, but you can find me at E.E. E. Robert, 
uh, there. Find me on Instagram. I'm mostly posting my DJ work. Uh, for those of you, you know, for those that don't know, I'm a I'm a wedding DJ as well. <laughs> uh, but I and so I mostly post my my DJ stuff on my Instagram. But there's occasionally stuff on my writing or my cosplay that I do. Um, at again at ee Robert on Instagram. Um, if they want to follow my cosplay, my you know theater and cosplay stuff, it's at Lazy Man Cosplay on Instagram. Um, my DJ stuff is on TikTok at DJ E Rob. So I'm all over the place. You can find me Emergency Room Productions on Facebook. I, I hit most of the social media. So okay. Yeah, I was going to ask about Facebook. You kind of left that out until the last minute. I was like, oh, it's going to yeah. about Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> And Facebook is probably where I'm the most active, um, and I saved it to the end. Twitter is where I'm the least active because it's going down in flames. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it's sort of sad because I have a good following on, on Twitter. I was like, why are you doing yeah. this to me? <laughs> um, but, and, you know, that's the way life is. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Actually, Instagram is probably where I'm the most active. I said Facebook. Instagram is probably where I'm the most active. I'm the most active in Instagram, uh, too. I like Instagram now a lot. Yeah. I do, too. And between the two Instagram accounts, that's where you'll find follow me on those two accounts. So. All right. All right. Um, thank you, Ev, for coming on the show and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Sherry. I'm looking forward to... Uh, Jekyll and Hyde, hopefully on the 31st. Yep, I cross fingers and toes. Um, yep. <laughs> thank you very much, and thank, thank you for chatting with Sherry. If you'd like to help support my radio playhouse, Sherry's Playhouse, you can go to my Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash Read the Bard, and Read the Bard is spelled R-I-T-H-E-B-A-R-D. There's several levels from $1 to $50. You get different gifts, you get different chances to meet casts, or to chat about the plays, or to talk about any special guests that might be on Chatting with Sherry. It's a lot of fun, we have a good group, and I hope you join us.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.